Hello, church. It is a good morning, and I'm glad to be with you. Listen, we have had a wonderful weekend here at the CCM. And how so is that daddy-daughter dance thing? That thing, it came together, didn't it? That was, that was something. I had never been part of anything like that because I had sons. <laughs> but that was terrific, and I really enjoyed it. But listen, we guys... We need to get together, whether you were at that or not. We need to get together, and we need to go to somebody's basement, and we need to put on some music and get Joe Gray to teach us how to dance. That dude, he is smooth like black coffee. It is it's outstanding. Second thing, great weekend. Doug Dessenberger and Doug Davis allowed me to go with them down to Lincoln Christian College. That was my first time to go there, and I had a blast. Uh, we went there for a, a leadership seminar, and in that, great speakers. I got to hear the president of the school, uh, Don Green, and just was blessed to be there, uh, to be with these guys for uh, a day. And uh, then, then, listen, to top it off, to come here and worship Jesus along with you. What a great weekend. But another uh, great weekend, and, I, and I'll end it with this one, is because uh, my son Craig and his wife Lindsay uh, could be here and bring those little grandbabies. And uh, so you know I'm going to be goo-goo-ga-ga through my sermon this morning. I'm not going to be able to get it out thinking about being with those grandchildren after the service. Is that so cool? Yeah, it really is. Okay, please turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Take a moment to turn there. It's a, it's a small book. You got First and Second Corinthians. Then you got a cluster of small books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Then there's that Colossians letter. That's the one we're in. We were in chapter 1 last week. We're in chapter 2 today. And uh, let's just go ahead and read God's Word. I want to read uh, the 6 through uh, 14. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. And that phrase right there is where I'm at today, to walk in the Lord. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the power, the, work, the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead, and you were Dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Here, here it is. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
Boy, this is a powerful text today. Let's pray about it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this text. I thank you for what Paul brought to us that we can glean from this and, and be filled up even more. I pray, dear God, for brothers and sisters this morning that we walk out of here today enriched, blessed, empowered by your grace because of this teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I have enjoyed my Christian walk to walk with the Lord. But there are other benefits to this walk besides being forgiven of my sins and I got a home in heaven, my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, other than being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's to hang out with cool brothers and sisters. It is to hang out with uh, people that have got their act together. Not that they had their act together in their previous life. But through maturity in the Word of God, maturity in Christ, they walk with the Lord, and man, I have met some pretty good Christians. Now, what I mean by pretty good Christians is how they grew in the Lord, how they matured in Christ, and uh, to meet what I call kingdom people, and I have enjoyed that. Wouldn't it be cool to actually have walked with the Lord Jesus on earth had we lived back then and been one of those to accept his, his gospel and to walk with him? Well, what about to have walked with one of his disciples who became one of the apostles? Wouldn't that have been cool as well? Uh, John, the beloved disciple, wrote in 1 John... Uh, in the back of your New Testaments, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, about that experience. And he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Wow. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses of this Jesus that we're talking about this morning. Look at how many times the idea, the concept, the word walk is mentioned in the New Testament. To walk with Jesus. But look at how many times in this small cluster of letters here, the prison letters, uh, how many times, isn't it, isn't it odd that Paul, who was in prison and was not allowed to walk around, he was confined, he was locked up, talked about walking so much with the Lord. And it's true here in the Colossian letter as well, because it mentions it in Colossians 1.10, in Colossians 2.6, and in Colossians 4, 5, in that Colossians 1, uh, 10, it talks about uh, walking worthy of the Lord. And that we, our, our lives aren't worthy of Him, but that we would try our best to live a life that would be worthy of Him and to bring Him glory. And then the Colossians 2, 6 uh, really boils down talking about a relationship with Him. And that 4, 5 talks about walking wisdom with unbelievers. And so this idea of walking with the Lord is going to bless your life when you take this upon yourself. Now, last week we talked about, in chapter 1, the supremacy of Christ, how He is supreme. No one comes close second to Him. And we talked about how God, being invisible to us, and no man has seen God at any time, 
that God sent Jesus down to earth that we would see Jesus. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. In Rome, Italy, the, the good people there, in one of their chapels, they have a fresco. It's a, it's a painting on the ceiling by an artist named Guido, and it's the Aurora. That's the title of it. It's a beautiful, magnificent painting like, like most of them there. When you walk into the chapel, you, you have to lean back and just stare at that beauty of the painting. And this, you, this is not a, a posture we're used to, and it grows very tiresome. And so the good people there in Rome have placed a mirror on the floor, and we're allowed to walk up to the rail and look into the mirror and see the beautiful beauty of the fresco. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. We could not see the Father. And Jesus took on flesh, God flesh, God man. And he lived his life, lived out the very character of the Father that we might see what God is like. His character, his holiness, his love, his mercy, uh, his truthfulness. Jesus mirrored the Father for us. And we are blessed to walk with Jesus. We are blessed to walk with him. And so my first point today is to walk with him. In verse 6, we read, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Young people, years ago there was a chorus. <coughs> Excuse me. There was a chorus that saying, Oh, be careful, little feet. Where you go. Is anybody raising a hand? Have you heard that chorus before? Oh, I was expecting more hands than that. Yes, I was. Uh, Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. For the Father up above is looking down in, in love. Oh, be careful where little feet, where you go. And so there's other parts of the chorus, the other stanzas, the verses are, oh, be careful, um, Uh, Eyes, what you see, ears, what you hear, hands, what you do, tongue, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, Christian, what we do, that we would live worthy of the Lord. We would walk worthy of the Lord. We would walk in relationship with the Lord and that we would walk in wisdom among unbelievers. And it's true that we get distracted. And when we get distracted by not looking at Christ, then it brings pain into our life. And it inhibits our relationship and this walk with Jesus. I'm glad that Jesus did not get distracted. He lived out the Father's will perfectly. And as he did not get distracted, that means that he taught with purpose. It means that he said everything proper. It means that when it came time to go into Calvary and and, and go in that walk, that half-mile walk through Jerusalem, he did not become distracted. Not once did he, in the scourge where they they whipped him, not once did he cry out, I've had enough, please stop. He went ahead and took every beating. He took every nail. He took the crown of thorns for us. And he didn't cry mercy. There is the Via Dolorosa. 
sorrowful way or the way of pain, the journey of pain that Christ walked through. In its original uh, form and intent, it's 14 stations of the cross. And, and in that, it's, it's 14 times that something happened to Christ along the way. And what I'm saying this morning by using this illustration is, he didn't get distracted. How distracted are you in your Christian walk with the Lord? I've been distracted. Those are the times I'm embarrassed about. Those are the times I'm disappointed in me. I'm never disappointed in Jesus. But looking at those stations, one is a Christ is condemned to die in Pontius Pilate's hall. He receives his cross, which was really the, the patibulum, the cross beam that he would carry. Uh, he falls under its weight. <coughs> Excuse me. There are stations of the cross that aren't in Scripture, so I, I mentioned those, but um, we hold on to the ones mentioned in Scripture. One is he meets his mother. There is Simon of Cyrene is forced to bear his cross. That one's in the scripture. His face is wiped by Veronica. He falls again. He meets the women of Jerusalem. Uh, his third fall. Those are not in the scriptures. But starting 10 through 14, he is stripped of his garments. He's nailed to the cross. He dies. His body is taken down and his body is laid in the tomb. Those are in the scriptures of God. What I'm saying this morning is Jesus is not distracted. Lord, help his church. Help us how we get distracted. And how we, when we're distracted, we don't walk among unbelievers in wisdom. Lord, help us not to be distracted as, as your church. In fact, Jesus not distracted. He was so on point that he took time on the cross, not distracted. He took time to save a thief. He took time to take care of his mother. And from the cross, nailed, pinned to it, he turned his mother over to his best friend, John, one of the apostles. That is so cool to me. He's not distracted. It's... It's Jesus' daily walk that led him to his death walk. And he wasn't distracted. Lord, help us to not be distracted. It's that death walk that we each one of us should prepare for. We don't talk much about persecution in America upon Christians. Sure, you got the... Columbine High School, the, the girl there that had to confess the Lord because she loved him and would not deny him and the guy shot her because she confessed Jesus. You, you've got that. And, and, and what's our persecution amount to? Somebody disagreed with us at work. So, some, that's all they did. They just disagreed with us and, oh, you didn't, you didn't like what I said. And that's persecution. No, it's not persecution, my friends. Jesus said in John 15, if they hated me, they will what? They will hate you also. And, and we have got to arm ourselves with this type of thinking. Why? Because we're Christians. We, we need to have it as our mindset. We should expect persecution. Uh, I don't go looking for it. But we must... The church must have a testimony. We must have a voice. We must express our faith. Persecution should be in the DNA of every Christian. 
If you've confessed Christ's name, repented of your sins, and been baptized into him, it's in your makeup. It's in your DNA to accept persecution. Why? Because Jesus accepted persecution. His life walk led to his death walk. Matthew 24, 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. In Luke's gospel, chapter 6, in verse 22 and 23, we read these words. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Teaching the people there. Don't you remember that was the Sermon on the Mount? There were more than the disciples there. If anyone would follow him as a disciple, you must understand this can happen. And it did happen to the apostles. I'm going over to the book of Acts in chapter 5 and verse 40. Take time to turn there with me. Acts chapter 5, and there, verses 40 and 41. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And they kept right on teaching Jesus. They kept right on preaching Christ. And they did not allow that beating nor the threat from the council to detour them from doing what Jesus commanded. May may the fear of persecution leave us. And may we walk with him. And whatever will be, will be. But he promises to always be with us. He promises to always be with us. Secondly, today, we need to be faithful. Going back to the text of Colossians 2 again, I want to read verses 7, 8, and 9. 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Amen. Rooted and built up, established in the faith. How does that happen? We are rooted and built up when we're in the Word of God. But I'm going to add a little clause to that. If you would take something said in your Sunday school class... If you would take something that's said in a Bible study, if you would take something out of the message and then go share it with someone, something that you, you felt was significant to you, look down and see if what I said was in the, in the bulletin outline of this message. And then you go share that little small tidbit of information with somebody. The more you share it, the more it becomes yours. In the beginning, it's something that Creighton said. It's something that your Sunday school teacher said. After a while, it's you. It's yours. And you you establish and root yourself in the teachings of the Lord when you receive it and when you share it. The same thing in worship. It's one thing to make up your mind that I will not miss the worship of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I walk in Him. I walk in Him. 
and he is with the believers on the Lord's day, I will be with the believers on the Lord's day. But when you invite someone to come worship with you, that's when it's more real to us. Invite someone to come uh, worship with you. And thanksgiving will abound when we do this. Now, in verse 8, it takes a strange twist. In chapter 2, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, and human tradition. Okay? Uh, Don't let anybody take you captive. There have been kidnappings uh, in the news coming out of Chicago. And and the recent one that I'm thinking of is that girl in Wisconsin. Remember her name, Jamie Close. And she witnessed the murder of her parents, and then she was in captivity, kidnapped. And man, when she uh, escaped, but that horror, does it run through you when someone is kidnapped? Does it run through you that, that one of your children could be kidnapped? Does it run through you when you think about, oh God, spare me and save me from one of my grandkids being kidnapped? And with the weight of that in your heart, we need to take that very same weight and apply it to when a Christian walks away from the faith. When they are kidnapped by philosophy of this world, when they are kidnapped by empty deceit, when they're kidnapped by human tradition. And Paul's saying, don't let that happen. Guard yourself. Guard yourself. It can happen when we begin to think more of philosophy or human tradition than we think of the Word of God. Or when we begin to put human tradition uh, or deceit, lies, uh, we begin to put it on equal plane, philosophy on equal plane as the Word. Uh, that This is the Word of God, but, but philosophy is the Word of God too. When we start that, our hearts are captured and, and we are wrong. Uh, The Life Application Bible interprets verse 8 this way. Don't let anyone lead you astray with empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the evil powers of this world and not from Christ. Warren Wearsby worded it this way. Don't let anyone cheat you. We've got got the, the enriched, empowered Word of God that brings us the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we adapt another system and try to combine it with Christianity, then we are wrong. And someone is cheating us by what they're sharing with you and capturing you. And uh, we, we must not live that way. The world loves philosophy and traditions, and it pleases the worldly palate. But Christ is our bread from heaven. Jesus is the living water. If we fall for worldly thinking, then we are cheated from what Christ wants from us. And wasn't it Jesus who said, you cannot serve two masters, for you'll love the one and hate the other? Yeah, that's what's going to happen. Paul says, don't be captured by worldly philosophies. If we have the fullness of Christ, and we do, Why would we substitute it with man's emptiness? In the Greek, it gives the idea to carry off the spoils of war uh, as a captive, a kidnapping, carrying someone away from truth into slavery of error. And so, 
Know your Bible. Read your Bible. Share your Bible. And know it to where we cannot be carried off. Specifically, one of the things is verse 9. In verse 9 where it says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, accepting that Jesus Christ is is God-man. He's God-flesh at the same time. And don't let anybody take you captive to believe that he is not or that he is not Lord. And that Jesus, in verse 10 it says, And you have been filled in him who is the head of all authority, all rule. Have you been hanging around people that's cast doubt into your faith? You know, there's good doubt and bad doubt. What do you mean by that? Well, good doubt is when you're doing something about it. You're studying the Bible. You're asking questions of godly men and women in your life. And and you're not shrugging their answers off. That's good doubt. When you you got doubt, you, you take care of business and you study the word and you bring yourself closer to the Lord. Bad doubt is when you let doubts and questions just consume you and you don't do anything about it and it whips you and one day you'll find yourself outside of the church that's bad doubt doubt is good if you'll study and come to a healthy conclusion of what the word of god says have you been watching tv shows on television that lie against the authority of scripture and make disparaging comments about bible stories Yeah, they do it all the time in sitcoms. They do it all the time on the History Channel when they have those little hour programs by Dr. Somebody. And said, no, that wasn't the way it is. You need to get out your Bible and you need to go back to the biblical story and see how the good doctor on the TV show didn't tell what the Bible said. He gave man's tradition about those things. Are they taking you captive, kidnapping your thoughts, kidnapping your love, your devotion to Christ? Walk in Him, be faithful to Him, and last, remember how you got into Him. Uh, Let's go back to the text, and let's go to verses 11 through 14. I, I happen to have waited all morning to be able to bring this third point. So sit up straight. Open up your Bible. Open up your Bible, and let's look at verses 11 through 14. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism. In which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses. And the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Well, I hope that after I finish this point that you'll agree that it was worth staying in the assembly for. I hope so. All right, first of all, we need to see the tragedy of why we need a Savior. The tragedy is our sin. And then secondly, the remedy of sin is the Lord Jesus Christ. To get into Him, to be able to walk with Him. And in verse 11, Paul uses an analogy from the Old Testament Scriptures, the teaching of circumcision. 
It was the cutting off of the foreskin of a baby male private part. That's, that's what it was. It was to mark an Israelite person that they were a, a people of God. A test of faith was to an adult male who converted to Judaism, they would go through a circumcision. Is your faith strong enough that you're going to do this? The practice was performed by a mohel, M-O-H-E-L, but it's pronounced like mo, like mow your grass, and letter L, that's how it's pronounced, mohel. And the Jewish professional to perform this circumcision, he would do it on what day? The eighth day, the eighth day. Now, why, uh, why did God tell Moses to perform it on the eighth day? Well, in apologeticspress.org, it'll tell you why. I read a book in college called None of These Diseases by Dr. McMillan. He told me why, and that's how I knew to go look for this information because of what a physician named McMillan said. So let me give you some of that information. We know that vitamin K is responsible for the production of prothrombin. If vitamin K is deficient, then prothrombin will also be uh, in a deficiency. What does that mean? It means hemorrhaging. It means excessive bleeding can take place. And so, it is only on the fifth through the seventh days of the newborn male's life that the vitamin K is present in adequate quantities. Vitamin K coupled with prothrombin causes blood to coagulate. It causes the blood to clot, which is important in any surgical procedure. Now, here we go. Here we go. On the eighth day, the amount of prothrombin present actually is elevated above 100% of normal on the eighth day. And is the only day in a male's life in which this will be the case under normal conditions. If surgery is to be performed, day eight will be the perfect day. Now, what do hospitals do today? Well, one, if the doctor hasn't already talked you out of it, that is, if you even wanted it to begin with, they would, we're going to do this on the second day. We're going to do this on the third day. And they're going to say, now, there's complications in it. Well, yeah, because you're not following what God said to do. And what did God say to do? Perform the circumcision on, on day eight. Exactly correct. Dr. McMillan said, Abraham did not pick the eighth day after many centuries of trial and error. No one back in Ur of Chaldees in Abraham or his family ever was circumcised. God who created vitamin K told him it's day eight. Praise God for things like this. And so, with all of that background said, that bizarre practice was used by Paul to say that we have a circumcision made without hands by Christ when he put an end to the works of the flesh that we've done in our past. It's, it's a pretty good concept. And Paul uses that concept right here. It, it means that we have ceased our sinful living for self. It means that we have quit the devil's gang and we have joined the Lord's gang. When we went through a spiritual circumcision made without hands by Jesus Christ, 
And Paul adds something else to make this connection in verse 12. In verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism. Wow, where did that come from? Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Here's the deal. I've heard people say that baptism is not important. They say it's not important because they've come to a conclusion that baptism is a work. And, and since it's a work, they say it's the work of man. And then they'll add, and since we're not saved by our works, the logical conclusion is baptism's not necessary. Well, they got something right and they got something wrong. They got something correct in that baptism is a work. But baptism is the work of God, not the work of man. And that's the difference. In verse 12, it says it's God's work. Let's go back and read it for yourself. I hope you're in Colossians 2 and verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through what? Faith in what? The power of God. There is something that takes place in faith in our baptism at the point in the time of our baptism that he just finished saying that this, this spiritual circumcision, the past is cut off. Twelve. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were raised up with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Now, I've taken the liberty of looking up those translations you see on the screen. The ESV, which I'm carrying today, it says your faith is in the powerful working of God. The NIV says your faith is in the power of God. The New American Standard Bible says that your faith is in the working of God. And the King James Version for you that carry the King James Version, boy, it said a mouthful. It says that your faith is in the operation of God. Now, what did he just finish saying about a circumcision? That you've gone through a circumcision made without hands by Jesus Christ. And that we, in our faith, as we are being buried with him in baptism, that we what? Our faith is in the operation of God, that God is doing the necessary surgery on my life because I'm a sinner and I need his grace. That is the only way I can go to heaven. I am a sinful person. And each one of us has to say that. We have to confess that our sins is what's sending us to hell. It's our sin that is keeping out, us out of the kingdom of God and out of heaven. And so when we confess, we repent of our sins, uh, and we're going to our baptism, God is doing a work. A work. I hope that you're beginning to see that baptism is a man's work. Our faith is in God's work. I, I hope that you got that. Because the Greek word, Y-E-S-V, N-I-V, N-A-S-B, and K-J-V would say power and working and operation is because the Greek word is energia. My faith is in the energia. And what is energia? What's, what kind of English word we got that sounds like that? Yeah, yeah, you knew it. My faith is in the energy of God. It's what he does. Praise the name of the Lord. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. And our faith is, listen, our faith is not in the minister's hands. Our faith is not in the water. My faith is in what? The energy of God. It's what He does. It's His work. It's His work. God cuts off our sin. Verse 13. Verse 13, He reaches back. 13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that's every one of us, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. That's not every one of us. That's the people that have come to Jesus. For those that have come to Christ, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us our trespasses. All right, now this, I know it doesn't make good English, but it's just going to get gooder and gooder. Okay, it's going to get better. We could walk out right now and we're happy if we're in Christ. But look what's going to happen in verse 14. Let me read it. By canceling the record of debt. See, ESV. Nails it down. Nails it. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Again, um, okay, good, the slide is up. ESV, canceling the record of debt. NIV, having canceled the written code. KJV, blotting out the handwriting. Don't, Don't look at ordinances yet. Blocking out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. What the scripture is describing, it's a business term meaning a certificate of indebtedness in the debtor's own handwriting. Now, you know and I know that we're going to answer at the judgment day for every word and deed. Word and deed. We're going to answer for everything. I've told you in previous sermons that there are books being written in heaven. Malachi, the last chapter, talks about it. Revelation talks about it. More than the book of life, there's books being written about what we're doing and saying. But guess what? The concept and the idea here in this text is what I mentioned at my trial sermon back in October. That this written, that this written, this writing in the debtor's own handwriting is, you you guys have been to the bank and got loans, and it's six pages. I I didn't count them. It's nine pages. I, I don't know. Don't get hung up on the amount of pages. But, but you signed, and that meant that you're indebted to pay that loan back, right? What's going on here in this text is, when you and I choose to sin against God, we are writing an IOU. I-O-U. Every time you sin, and you're signing your name, And to do that sin, you're handing that IOU to God. Handwriting, the record of debt that you owe to God. And when Jesus went to the cross, he what? Yeah, all my IOUs were nailed to the cross. All the record of debt was nailed to the cross. 
Do you see the importance of coming to Jesus? Do you see the importance that you can't let this slide? That you need to repent of your sins and confess Christ and be buried in baptism the way that verse says buried? You need to go through this baptism that this, this circumcision without hands will take place, that, that Christ will cut off, he will wash, he will cancel the written debt against you and me. Praise God. It's not man's work. It's the working of God. So when you and I were baptized into him, we were raised to walk in newness of life. And we don't walk in the uncircumcised ways of our last past life. We're not perfect. We, we know that. We don't even need to say that. We know it so much. But our past is forgiven. The IOUs are canceled, nailed to the cross. We walk, Colossians 1.10, worthy of the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 6, in relationship. Chapter 4, verse 5, we walk in wisdom among unbelievers. Our debts have been canceled. Walk with wisdom. Would you pray with me? Dear God, help us to see Jesus more clearly. Help us, dear God, to understand what you did when you provided salvation for us. Help us to understand, dear God, that the, the IOUs were piled up in my name. And in your name, the IOUs were forgiven, canceled. Lord Jesus, thank you. In your name I pray, amen.